uh, and this is the whole area of the the judgments that we form sometimes as we go through times of trauma in our life. And uh, it's so common that it's become, as Mike was sharing earlier, uh, but the, basically the two areas that he looks for is the issue of legal rights and the issue of the things that are often connected to trauma. And uh, I, I, I'm really appreciative of the fact that in the recent uh, years, there's been a real acceleration in the understanding of the effects of trauma on our, on our whole human makeup. And um, of course, some people will some people will recognise that this is an effect of trauma, but it doesn't necessarily mean they've got the resources to be able to release that person from that trauma. And so, one of the beautiful things we have in the family of God is that uh, we have the healing power of, the, of of God, the healing power of the Holy Spirit, who who because of the cross uh, and because of what He's released to us. Uh, is able to set us free from, from the trauma itself. And we've got a number of stories uh, where people have been, uh, where there's been identified an issue of trauma, the trauma the trauma's been addressed, and the person's been set free, healed, whatever. It's just, just wonderful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to many more. Uh, we were one time, one time we had the privilege of visiting the States. Janet did an internship uh, with um, Robin Lynn's friend Patricia King, uh, and um, did an internship there for a month. And at the end of that internship, there was the Woman on the Front Lines conference and about 900 to 1,000 ladies there and about 60 men because the pastors were welcome. We came along and served and just helped and undergirded it in, in ways we could serve because we just so value and appreciate who Patricia is and what she's doing. And so <clears throat> one of the ladies uh, she had ministering there was Joan Hunter. I don't, how many of you heard of Joan Hunter? Okay, tremendous, wonderful ministry, and uh, I love her. She shoots from the hip. She's just, you know, boom, straight at it. And uh, she um, started to speak into this issue of trauma, and we just had a few experiences about ministering to people in tra with, with tr trauma stuff in their lives, and we'd seen some breakthroughs, and so our, our attention was pricked up when she started to speak about trauma. And then she ministered to a number of people, and then there was one particular lady who uh, she ministered to uh, with a word of knowledge or something, who had had a, a significant spinal injury. And uh, she was there. She, um, Joan had to reach up to her. She was quite tall. And uh, you, you might remember this, Rob. Lynn, I think you guys were there. And she broke the trauma off the lady's spine. The whole, the whole auditorium gasped because it looked like the lady grew two to three inches suddenly. And it was just, it was just phenomenal. I just, the whole place gasped. Remember that? Do you, do you remember that one? May or may not. You might have been out on the bookstalls, probably. Yeah, you missed that one. <laughs> but this whole, the whole place just gasped because the lady looked like she just went like that. And she wasn't doing that. Her whole spine just went like this because the trauma had been broken off it. And I'm thinking, my goodness, there's so much in this. And now, of course, they're realizing that a number of autoimmune diseases, it's because of the trauma in the body, the body turns on itself in strange sort of ways and ends up destroying things within the body and all sorts of repercussions of that. Apparently, type 1 diabetes has got connections with uh, tra trauma in the body causing something uh, to happen in the pancreas. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's a rapid understanding or developing understanding of the effects of trauma. But what I'm going to want to focus on is the kind of judgments, the kind of conclusions we come to when we go through times of trauma. And uh, I've, I've experienced this in my own life. I've, been, I've identified some things. I broke my agreement with some judgments, repented of some judgments and so on, and, and, came, in, and came into greater freedom. And uh, so I just, just to lay a foundation for this, um, uh, where are we in my notes here? Probably, who knows where. So, where am I? Right here. here, here this, this is where I'll start, yeah. So, <laughs> external processor, you see. Uh, you know how sharks are attracted to blood in the water? Uh, piranhas are attracted to blood in the water? Demonic spirits also attracted to human trauma 
like sharks are attracted to blood in the water. That's the nature of the kingdom of darkness. That's why I hate that kingdom. I hate, I despise the kingdom of darkness. The way it, the way it uses people's trauma to somehow try and gain an advantage, to try and bring pressure on their lives, to cause them to go a certain way uh, that, that they may be more vulnerable to damage in the future, whether it's temptation to sin or just some sort of limiting factor or just spoiling their lives. That's why I just hate, I just hate that darkness. I hate the demonic spirits who take advantage of people's trauma. And uh, I, 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 you know, it, it just causes you to get an attitude toward it. You want to bust it wherever you see it, you know, you hear what I'm saying? And so... Uh, the whole thing of trauma, we know that motor vehicle accidents can be very traumatic, both for the victim and the person who causes the accident, if there was a person who caused it. Uh, sudden death of a loved one, hugely traumatic. Uh, violent attacks, physical, emotional, verbal attacks can be so obviously so traumatic. Sexual attacks, what can we say there? Relationship breakdown, marriage breakdown, hugely traumatic. Uh, natural disasters, which we are quite reasonably experienced in, can be very, very traumatic. Uh, <coughs> and also how we react as parents in front of our little children when there's a, a disaster unfolding, how we react to that can actually traumatize the children. Now, don't get all bl into blame for that. It's just how it is. The, the children are watching, and when we react in terror and fear, that impacts them as well. So it can, it, that can be involved. Uh, being abandoned and left to fend for yourself can be just so traumatic. Uh, witnessing a traumatic event, whether it's an accident, a car accident, uh, uh, an accident unfolding. That's why I'm, 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 I'm pretty careful uh, of the level of violence in a movie I'll watch. Uh, things like Lord of the Rings, I don't care about because it's all just fantasy and uh, who cares about an orc anyway. <laughs> And, uh, uh, but I, could, I cannot watch uh, Saving Private Ryan. I cannot watch it. I watched probably, I don't know, 20 seconds of the opening scene. I had to turn it off. Because even though uh, I, I'm, I'm actually quite a visual person and I, I, I'm quite a sensitive person, if I see trauma that I know is real in the sense that this is the kind of thing that happened, and, and these men, this is the sort of thing that happened to these men or these women or these children. And I know that that's the kind of thing that happened. And I'm watching it and in a way that's portrayed very realistically. I've got to be very careful of that. Because that sort of stuff can just stay with me and stay with me and stay with me. And I, I just, I, so I have to avoid that. I will never subject my heart and my spirit to horror movies. I just will not subject myself to that. I, I just, I, you know, if you, if you want to, that's your business. Uh, there's, certain, there's certain things that people do to each other I will not watch. My, personally, and I don't care whether you do, I, do, I don't engage in boxing and uh, watching boxing and that sort of thing. It's just not, it's just not my thing. I just, I just don't do it. If you do it, that's, that's no problem at all. You, you, that's your right. Uh, things like the, the kickboxing fighting thing, I just, I just, don't, I just don't bother. Uh, but there's other movies that where it's far-fetched and, you know, oh, yeah, right, you know, I, I can watch that stuff, all right. But, but, and then anything that's the, the damage that's really hurting children or hurting women, I just, I just, uh, I ha I just have to really watch it. Um, so, because so I, I can just feel traumatized. What was, what did I just say? Got to watch it. Yeah, yeah, that was... That was. I've got to watch myself. I've got to be careful of myself. Uh, so that's just me. I know some friends love violent movies, and I just think they're demonized. And <laughs> but that, it's entirely up to you. You, you. you govern yourself. I don't govern you. I've got to govern myself, though. I've got to, I've got to be careful of my eye gate and my ear gate. I've just got to be careful because I, I, want, I want to try and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're sensitive to other things as well. So you want to guard that sensitivity. Okay, that's just me. So financial crisis, uh, the list is very long, very, very long in terms of what is traumatic. 
the age at which you experience trauma is a big deal. A child experiencing the same trauma that an adult is experiencing can process it in a very different way to an adult. Earthquakes were a classic. Our little, one of our grandsons, Zach, uh, Mark, our, our son Mark's oldest son, he came to the conclusion that when the earthquake happened, there was a big battery under the earth and it suddenly went <laughs> Which you can do with batteries if you short them out. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So his conclusion was well, there was a big battery under there and it goes and that's why the earthquake happened. And he didn't really get traumatised by them at all. He didn't, didn't get traumatised by them. Whereas an adult knows what's happening and knows that that house could collapse or that wall could collapse or whatever, often because they're processing it from a, this is what could happen, handles that trauma quite differently. It can be more traumatised than a child. And then sometimes it's totally the opposite. You can be watching something on TV and be unaware that a four-year-old child can be completely traumatised by that. We're very conscious of what things we might allow to be watched on YouTube or whatever, or some movie, when our children are present. We, we, how is this going to affect a child? How are they going to process this? Because they're not going to process this as an adult. They're going to process this as a child. So when I watched cowboy and Indian movies when I was a child, at six, because TV was just coming in. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it was black and white, and there was one channel. Cowboy and Indian movies, when either the cowboys were being shot or the Indians were being shot, I thought that they must have been really bad people that were about to be executed anyway. That's why they were being killed in the movies. That was my conclusion as a six-year-old. Because I didn't understand acting. It looked so real to me. I didn't understand the fact that they would show a shot of somebody pulling in a barrow back and firing an arrow, and then another shot with a guy going, off his horse. <laughs> I didn't realize that was acting. I thought it was real. Do you know that in, during the First World War, when movies and everything were so new, everything was so new, the technology was so new, film clips, they had a film clip of some soldiers going out of a trench and the, the, one of the soldiers acted as though he was shot and fell back into the trench. That caused an uproar in England because people could not tell the difference between reality and acting. They'd never been exposed to that sort of thing before on a film type setting. And it caused a problem throughout England because people thought, how can earth could they show somebody actually being shot? That's how real it was for them. And so they had to remove that. And so even though hundreds of thousands of men were dying on the battlefield, the public could not handle something being acted as though it was happening because they couldn't tell the difference. They weren't attuned to that sort of thing yet. So any th all sorts of things can traumatise people. And so <clears throat> the age at which you experience the trauma can have a major effect of whether it actually has a lasting effect or whether it doesn't. And whether it's actually traumatic for you. My dear grandmother, um, apparently when she was a very young girl, they were in an old car, one of the big old cars they had back then, and they were coming over maybe the Summit Road or something. You, you would have been told about this. Uh, and apparently the car didn't take the corner very well, and the front, front wheels ended up hang, hanging over the cliff. Is that right? Hanging over the bank. And my grandmother, our grandmother, at the age of maybe two, three, four, whatever age she was, was traumatised. You were in that car. My auntie, Auntie Vera, you were in that car. Were you traumatized? Oh, so long. So she can't have been two because you were around. So I got that mixed up. You must have been about two or three. So grandma must have been in her 30s or 40s, whatever age she was. Okay, right, got that wrong. Thanks for correcting me. So anyway, but in that, in that situation, she was traumatized. Now, we were on the way to Auckland to visit a brother's wedding, and my grandmother was with us. We drove from Manapuri right up to Auckland, Dad's old Plymouth V8, and on the way, we picked up Nana, Grandma, at, in Christchurch here, and uh, <laughs> Dad didn't really like this. Uh, they had a bench seat in the front of the Plymouth, and Grandma was in the middle, <laughs> between Mum and Dad, 
the main reason she was in the middle is because if we ever went near a bluff, Nana, Nana would start getting uptight because we were getting too close to the edge of the road. What was that all about? It was the remembrance of that trauma. And so Dad had to put up with the fact that his mother-in-law was sitting next to him on the bench seat and not his wife. <laughs> but it's all about trauma. So traumas happen, see? It's just, just stuff that happens. See, no, but nobody had any understanding of how to actually help grandmother or help Nana with that, with that trauma. And so the age at which you experience it is huge. So in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, uh, we, have this, we have this statement. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. And they, were, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there was no peace. <clears throat> so some of these things can be so buried in our lives and we've learned to deal with them psychologically, but the judgment, the pain is still there. And as a result of that, it still affects us. And even though somebody might say, peace, peace, or you've dealt with it, or I've dealt with it, in actual fact, there's something still buried there and there's no actual peace at all. Okay? And so sometimes we can have a superficial, superficial layover that seems to bring peace to a situation, but in actual fact, there's a deeply buried thing that is still unresolved and it's still causing trouble. So part of Jesus' mission, Luke chapter 4, 18, was to heal the brokenhearted. And oftentimes brokenheartedness is because of the unresolved trauma, the memories of the pain, and the judgments that get set up in our times of trauma that are still resident in our hearts. And I'll explain that a little bit more. So Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has set me to heal the brokenhearted. People have debated whether inner healing is actually part of the gospel. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you can have a healed body, but if you've got a broken heart, it's still going to be very, life's still going to be, but you have a healed heart, life can be, man, very different. So, but, but the first thing after the preaching of the gospel that the anointing was on, the first thing mentioned is the healing of the broken heart. So the anointing that was on Jesus is also the anointing on us. And with understanding, we can reach into people's lives and help them deal with the trauma and see them set free. Okay? So... Then in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we see where Jesus was anointed, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, sorry, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's the very first message that a, that a Jewish apostle, Peter, was, uh, was called by the Holy Ghost to minister to a Gentile household. Cornelius' household, as recorded in Acts, the first message, that official message, that the Holy Ghost had called an apostle to preach to, the, to a Gentile household, it mentions this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. He went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. The Gentiles needed to hear that the power of God and in the gospel, there was healing available for all of those who were oppressed of the devil because most of the Gentiles were demon worshippers, were idolaters, and there was a lot of brokenness, a lot of brokenheartedness, and they needed to know that there was somebody who could actually bring resolution to their brokenheartedness and to their bondage. The first apostolic message into a Gentile household. In Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 7, is this not the fast I've chosen? Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 7, is this not the fast I've chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring, uh, that you bring to your house the poor and the cast out and uh, when you see them naked to cover him uh, and not hide your face from him? So is fasting what will do that or is the doing that the fast? I just leave you with that question. I believe in doing it. That's actually 
part of the fast issue that God was actually talking about. So, anybody know Kathy King here? Kathy King, okay. Kathy's much better at explaining this next bit that I am, than I am by a long shot. This is my crude attempt to try and explain what happens in the brain when we experience trauma. In a particular part of the brain, memories of the emotion connected with the traumatic event are stored along, along with the judgments about the event. This part of the brain is where information passes through and is filtered in relation to past experiences. So you have a past experience, the, the emotion of that experience, the judgments relating or the conclusions relating to that experience are stored there. New information coming through passes through that part of the brain. And if it triggers remembrance of, past, of a similar past experience, it will also trigger the judgments associated with that. And you will categorize this fresh experience in the category of that prior experience. Do you get that? Your brain will basically categorize it and what will happen is it'll trigger emotion and it'll trigger judgments and expectations that are connected to that past experience and pain that is now being triggered. And others will explain this better than I can. And so <clears throat> uh, sometimes the information triggers the pain and judgments of the, of a, uh, uh, which results from the, the particular responses. Then uh, this, uh, when this is left unresolved, it can develop lasting response patterns. Even the smell of something can trigger a response. The sound of something triggers a response. You know that if you have a, a time of really pleasant memory in your life and there were certain songs that were on the radio you were, you were playing on your stereo during that time and, and, and every time you hear that song, years later, emotionally, it can take you back to that happy time. Anybody, anybody recognize that? Yeah, there's a particular, I never promised you a rose garden. Uh, anybody remember that song? Yeah, a long time ago. That was, that was on the radio when we were just stopped over in Narrabeen, north of Sydney, for a period of time waiting for the ship to bring us home to New Zealand. And it was a particularly memorable, happy time in my life. There was an estuary right next to the camping ground. It had fish in it. It had all sorts, of, and I could roam in the estuary. There was beaches with surf. There was, there was up the road, up the, up the coast, there was diving areas. And I, I, I snorkeled with my brothers for the first time in my life at the age of 12. I couldn't load the spear gun. They would have to load it for me. And then I'd paddle off and shoot a reef trout or whatever the fish was, bring it back, unhook it. I'd have to find one of them again to load my gun again. It was a, just a, a wonderful time for me. Such a, a lot of beautiful memory. And every time I hear that song, which is only occasionally, I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> it, just, it just transports me right back to that time. And it was a really happy time. Now, obviously... The converse is true. You have a time of bitter experience, a rough experience, and something that reminds you of that time, a song or whatever, whatever the case may be, or a smell or a noise or a sound. How many of us jump a little bit when suddenly a truck goes past and the ground shakes? Anybody? I do. From Sometimes it catches me up. And I hear this certain rattle, this certain vibration. Um, and, and immediately, before I've even thought about it, my body's on edge. Why is that? Because of the association, the memory of the trauma. Because we heard the blimmin' things coming sometimes. <laughs> right? So it's exactly the issue. And so, I'm just get, put that song on my playlist, my um, download it on my... <laughs> Your Janet will turn it on when I'm grumpy. <laughs> of course, that's hormonal. <laughs> so we call these things buttons. Who pushed your button? Somebody says something, does something, all of a sudden, whoo, this reaction. <laughs> and the reaction seems way over the top for what the thing deserves. What is that? It's, it's, it's touching an unresolved trauma, an unresolved pain, an unresolved experience that is, is sensitized and suddenly there's a reaction way over the top. 
And that's usually a sign. And if we've got a bunch of buttons, we need to deal with the buttons. We really do. We've got to take responsibility for them, deal and process them. And uh, some of them, and many of those will be able to resolve. There may be some that are so deep and so powerful that we may need a bit extra help with them. So how does this work? Traumatic experience happens. The person experiences shock, horror, pain. Uh, the soul tries to make sense of it. It comes to conclusions about the experience, what caused it, who to blame, so on and so forth. And then depending on the nature of the conclusion, it will become either a binding judgment or something of no real consequence. Number six, if it, is, if it is a strong judgment towards self, toward others, toward God, toward some expectation of the future, the pain is often locked in. And then, unfortunately, demonic spirits seem to try and take advantage of that trauma. And I'm going to give you just a few case scenarios, and then how, how, do, how do we deal with these things? I'm going to speak of a common scenario. Unfortunately, too common a scenario. But no, I'm not, there's nobody identified in this. This is, this is a scenario, but I've, I've, endeavored, I've worked with people with this kind of scenario a number of times. So it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a concoction of a number of cases, okay? There's no real identity here. So, okay, a girl around about maybe the age of eight. She goes through the traumatic breakup and divorce of her parents. Her father leaves and she is deeply distressed. At the age of eight, she's not thinking of this as a, as a 25-year-old adult. She's thinking of it as an eight-year-old girl or maybe a six-year-old girl. And so she, her soul is trying to make sense of this, trying to reason this, and her soul comes to the conclusion that there must be something really wrong with me, otherwise dad wouldn't have left. That some, and because there's something really wrong with me, she may not know what it is, but there's something really wrong with me, that means it's my fault. Anybody ever encountered that one? Has anybody ever experienced that? Don't have to put up your hand. I'm just saying this is very real. Now, it could be a girl. It could be a boy. And so over time, she comes to the conclusion or the judgment. I like to use the word conclusion because people can make sense of that. That it is somehow her fault that her father left. There must be something very wrong with her. Otherwise, her father would, not, would have stayed. Over time, this turns into self-rejection, or maybe self-rejection right there. Then into self-hatred. Then maybe she starts to punish herself as a way of dealing with the guilt. A lot of unresolved guilt, when guilt is projected to them, it's, they feel at fault. Oftentimes a person will will punish themselves because somehow in punishing themselves, there's somehow this idea that's going to make it feel better because they deserve to be punished. It's this weird cycle. Sometimes there's the expectation of failure because they're a bad person because they caused this to happen and they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be judged. They deserve bad stuff to happen to them. They, de they deserve it. And so when something good is happening, they don't expect it to last very long because they don't, they don't deserve good. They don't deserve blessing. This is the internal voice. They don't deserve blessing. They deserve punishment. So even if something's going good, every now and then you'll find a person who actually sabotages the good so that it fails under their control because the thought of it happening out of their control is even worse. So there's a self-sabotaging. This can happen in all sorts of ways. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's significant and it's, it's really sad. I lived for years unfortunately, under the idea that really, because I didn't have a revelation of, 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 of some of the things about the cross and being the righteousness of God in Christ, the fact that he was made sinful, I didn't have revelation of that so much. And I, 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 I had the idea that really I deserved to be punished and judged because I was aware of my failures. I was aware of my weaknesses and my, my things I didn't do enough of or things I did, did do or didn't do enough of. And so when you're living in that kind of condemnation, false guilt deal, the enemy will try and get you on what you do or what you don't do enough of. Anybody identify with that? So I lived for too long under that. And then through meditation in the Word and some revelation and some maybe some preaching, maybe whatever, 
things started coming, and I started to see that actually that was a that was a tyranny that was going on in my life where the enemy was using that to keep me in a place of condemnation more than I was in a time of, of joy and a time of a sense of being in good shape with God. So it was a tyranny. It was an emotional roller coaster. But it was all based out of the fact that I really felt like I deserved to be punished. I didn't deserve to be blessed. So if I was blessed and I recognized I was blessed for an, or experiencing blessing, the fear was this won't last long because I deserve to be punished. Isn't that weird? Anybody identify with that? Yeah. So, but the soul tries to make sense. So the tri soul tries to, it has to find either somebody to blame or some reason this has happened. And often the conclusions are very incorrect. Like this, this scenario, the young lady, girl believed that she was something wrong with her. That's why her father left. So that turned into self-hatred, self-rejection, self, all that sort of stuff. And then eventually her soul starts to try and find comfort, and it's finding comfort in drugs. It's finding comfort in escaping reality in some way. Or uh, she might start cutting herself, punishing herself. Uh, it may even just give place to thoughts of suicide and life's not worth living. I'm such a bad person. And, and then, of course, once, once a person makes that sort of judgment, then other experiences in life just try, that, are, that are tragic try and reinforce that and lock it in and become such a stronghold in their life. But here's the good news. The Word of God is active and it's powerful and it's able to dismantle and pull down strongholds. And so, we and so we recognize these things, we take them to the Lord, we see them for what they are. So the process of journeying with, a, young, with a, a lady like this, who's now perhaps in her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever the, process, whatever the age is, is when you, like Mike said, you just start to ask some questions. When did these sort of feelings start to happen? Well, they may not know. And I'll sometimes ask, did you, have, you, have you had any traumatic experiences in life yeah I have uh, my parents broke up my parent when my parents divorced it was just a terrible time and okay so how old were you when that happened I was I was six I was seven eight whatever the age was and and I sometimes say well what did you think about yourself in that time in that moment in that time when you went through what did you, what did you think about yourself uh, I thought it was my fault. I, th I thought it was because of me that I was, I must have been really bad, so that's why he left, my dad left. And then now, the, now that they're 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever the age is, you can simply say, well, do you believe that's true now? No, not at all. But the problem is, <laughs> when they were six, seven, eight, nine, that's when their heart judged the situation and came to that conclusion. And it became a foundational view of themselves. You get that? Became a foundational view of themselves. So now they're living life out of a, and part of their foundational view of themselves is there's something really wrong with themselves. That's why dad left. And all the pain that came about out of that was their fault. So it's all, all you need to do, all you need to do is, is help them connect with that, help them see the truth of it, they recognize that that's what they've done. They know that that's not true. And then you, you teach them about how you take that to the Lord and how you confess that and ask Him to forgive you for judging yourself in that way and, and break your agreement with that. It's a process you work through. And then they, they pray that thing. They pray. Even, even when they see it, sometimes that brings the freedom. But there's, it's really powerful when you activate your mouth because your mouth, your tongue, Jesus said, by your words you condemn, by your words you're acquitted. We know in James it talks about the tongue being like the rudder on a, a ship, such a huge ship, yet a small rudder can steer the whole thing. And so our, our mouth, when it, our tongue, when it, in these sort of situations, becomes like the, like the pen of a lawyer or the pen of a judge. The judge makes a judgment, then there may be some documents to sign and he signs them and that's like he, he's pronouncing a judgment and that's what we've done. So when it comes to disempowering these judgments, we take we see it, 
may need a help, bit of help to see it, but we see it. We take responsibility for it. We, we confess it to the Lord. We renounce that judgment. We, receive, we ask and receive forgiveness for it. And then we, we verbally break our agreement with that judgment. It's a legal thing in the spirit. My goodness, this is powerful. Mike's already said it, but I'm just reiterating it. That's all I'm doing, reiterating. It's really powerful. When they speak that, I break my agreement with the judgment that there was something wrong with me, that that's why my dad left. That immediately right then, the, the oppression of that can lift off them right there and then. I've seen it. But other times I've, where you just need to then go to minister and then break the power of those judgments, break the power of the spirits of depression and self-hatred and all those sort of things that have come around that. And oh my goodness, you see some freedom, don't you, Heather? <laughs> so it's, a, it's the judgments we make when we go through times of trauma. And the, the younger we go through that trauma, but we can still somehow process, the more likely are we are to have come to really incorrect Judgments. But here's the deal with judgments that I've found. This is what I've found. They don't have an expiry date. That judgments don't come with a, this will cancel in five years' time. In that sense. When we make a judgment or a conclusion that becomes foundational in our life, it's there until we see it, it's illuminated to us, we take responsibility for it, and we bring it to the Lord then it can be disempowered and it is negated. And my goodness, the freedom I've seen come in some people's lives when they've experienced this is just phenomenal. So when I was a boy, I was talking a little bit about a bit of ministry from Bill Sabritsky a number of years ago and the self-hatred thing. He said to me, where's I discern a spirit of self-hatred got into your life around the age of nine or ten? And I thought, oh, goodness. And then afterwards, I prayed about it. I said, Lord, what was that about? What happened at age nine or 10 that that self-hatred got in? And my mind immediately, pretty well immediately, went back to Tasmania where we lived for about six months. Uh, we lived on the edge of the Derwent River. I was, I'd, I'd done a really sneaky, dishonest thing where I'd gone across the river. Some guys were fishing. I thought I coveted their lures. So I found the, got their box of lures, stuck it down a rabbit hole, thinking because they'd gone away somewhere. And, uh, and I'm thinking when they come back, uh, when, they, when they go away, I'll come back and get those lures. They'll be mine. In other words, I wanted to steal them. Big confession time. <laughs> And so I went back across the bridge and then the guys came back and, where who's stolen our lures? And I just kept silent. A number of family were there. And uh, then they started hunting around. One of them found the rabbit hole, put his arm down, pulled the box of lures out. Somebody done it! And, I, and I, it was just such a, a shameful, uh, embarrassing, humiliating experience. And I hated myself. I just hated myself for doing that, and for, and, and the Holy Spirit showed me that that's when that thing got into my life. Did I deserve, did I, did I deserve to be chastised for that? Absolutely. Did, was that a wrong thing to do? Absolutely. But here's the thing, it's the judgment I made about myself in that moment of, of embarrassment, humiliation, and feeling st just stupidity the judgment I made about I just hated myself and that's when that spirit got a hold of my life, got into my life and started to work. And the Holy Spirit showed me these tentacles of this thing that went into various areas of my life. So if somebody criticized me, the only thing I could do because it, it then impacted the self-hatred thing, the only thing I could do would either be yield to it and agree with it and I'd go down into a depressive sort of cycle, take me a few days to get out of it, or I would retaliate and push back about it and self-justify and, and it was creating problems in relationships, it was creating problems in leadership and so on and so forth. But when that, when that thing was identified, that stuff shifted. And I, I was able to then start handling uh, when people would say something that perhaps needed to be changed or corrected or, or I needed to apologize for something. I could handle that much better than before I could hardly handle it at all because it would just connect into the whole self-hatred thing. And you'd get into guilt and blame and you're useless and you're, you're a dog and you're this and that. You spiral downwards. Okay, nearly got to wrap this up. Yeah, we've got to wrap this up. One last story. Uh, our son, Mark, 
he was, uh, and I'm allowed to tell the story, uh, Son Mark, he was, uh, we were over swimming in Corsia Bay. I'm not sure what age he was, maybe eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that age bracket. Uh, over at Corsia Bay, he'd swum out to the, board, the swimming platform on his little, with his little swim board. The tide was out. And he, he, he swam out there and was sitting on the thing. And then a father and a son had come out. The, the son was sort of on the back of the shoulders of the father. And, of course, it was low tide. I think he pretty walked all the way out there. And then by the, as they were out there, the tide came in. And time to come in, Mark jumped in, had paddleboard, started paddling. Father jumped in, the son on his back. The son panicked and started to climb up on the father's shoulders, of course, and then it was pushing the father down and he started to take in water and, and he, was, he, was, he, he was starting to drown. Uh, but before that, when he, he started to panic, he reached out for Mark's board. Mark panicked a bit, thinking I'm going to get the board ripped off me, paddled in flat out. Uh, and either raised the alarm or something, people got out and got him, brought him on shore. The guy looked like he'd drowned and they were working on him. Eventually he coughs and he lives. But in that moment where Mark as a little boy is watching this guy has nearly drowned or has drowned and Mark is thinking that was my fault, that was my fault, I caused this and he hates himself. Unbeknown to us. Totally unbeknown to us. Years later, Duncan Graham is preaching and he preaches about when you see negative fruit, don't don't try and pluck the fruit off. Ask Holy Spirit to show you what the root is. Mark took that seriously, went home, prayed into it because he had this negative fruit in his life that was just limiting life and creating challenges in his marriage and various things. And he prayed about it. He said, Holy Spirit, show me what the roots of this negative fruit are. Within a relatively short time, Holy Spirit took him back to that experience and that memory. And then he was at home with us and he started to talk about this and he started to talk about what Holy Spirit had showed him and the fact this guy nearly drowned and he blamed himself and, and this emotion started to come up. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a ministry moment right here. I can't believe this is happening, but it's happening. And got with him and said, Mark, this is what's happened. You've judged yourself. You've hated yourself and this demonic stuff. And, it's, and, 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 he, and he prays through a simple prayer with me and the stuff just comes out of him. This pain and this hurt and this and, 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 and his stuff just comes out of him. And, and then the joy hits him and he's shaking and he's, oh, oh, you know, he's just getting so touched by the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you what, for the hell, I don't know. We're still getting to know a new Mark. How many years has it been? Changed his marriage, changed his sense of future, changed his view of himself, changed the weight, changed us so much in his life. It, 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 the, for the first few years after that, it was like Janet and I would look at each other and say, we're, we're having to get to know a new Mark. And we had no idea he had made that judgment against himself. And that moment of trauma. And the world is full of it. It's everywhere. And people are limited because of the foundational views of themselves. They've judged themselves or they've judged fathers. They've judged men. They've judged their sexuality. If that's what it is to be a male, I hate my maleness. That's what it is to be a female. I hate being a female. I'll never allow, I'll never allow a woman to get close to me again. I'll never allow a man to get close to me again. If that's what men do, that's what fathers, I'll never allow a man to get close to me, a man to get close to me again. If that's what leaders are like, that's what fathers are like, I'm never going to trust a leader. All sorts of judgments people make. They might get over it in a sense. They might psychologically reason it out, but the judgment has been made nonetheless. So the guy gets into a relationship with a lady. He would love to get close to her. Or sorry, the lady would love to get close to him. But because he has said in his heart, I'll never let a woman get close to me again, she just keeps hitting this barrier. And the barrier is there because he's made the judgment, I'll never let a woman get close to me again. Then demonic spirits get involved and, and, and she, want, she, he, she wonders why she can't get close and for him, when, when the closeness starts to get to a certain points, he starts to get frightened, fearful, uncertain. So he withdraws and that aggravates us. It just goes on and on. So these sort of judgments are the judgments that are made in trauma. The challenge is, you see, these judgments are fundamentally illegal judgments because they're not how the Father sees us. 
And then the demonic spirits take advantage of them. And they become strongholds. So here's, here's how you deal with this. If you recognize in your life that there are, this is just triggering stuff for you, then uh, what, what you, good thing to do, ask the Holy Spirit, what is this fruit? What, what, the fruit you see in your life, whatever it is, ask the Holy Spirit, what's the root? And it may happen immediately. It might happen that night. It might happen in a day or two. Who knows when it will happen? But Holy Spirit will, will show you something, will take you back to a memory, and it's not to re-traumatize you because he's Holy Spirit, but it's to show you what you felt and the kind of judgment you made in that moment, and the light will go on. And when the light goes on, you've got a few options. You can either write it down and then seek somebody to work with and pray it through and so on and so forth and, and get them to pray for you and so on, or... You can just you can walk through it yourself, and you can say, "Okay, I see this. I see what I've done. I've seen. I've made this judgment. Okay, whatever, whatever. I take I, I see this. I see this. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for showing me this. Lord, this has been my reaction in this time of pain, this time of trauma. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I confess that in this time of trauma, I I said this in my heart about myself or about whoever. In Jesus' name." I repent of this judgment. I break my agreement with this judgment. I renounce this judgment. I receive forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness right now. And in Jesus' name right now, all of the pain and every spirit associated with this judgment, I command to leave my life right now in Jesus' name. I knew one guy who saw something that went right back to his childhood because he, he, he did this exact process. He saw it. God, he just, he just saw the situation. We'd made this judgment against a certain group of people. And he said, I know what you are. Uh, I'm going to receive ministry for this, or you can go now. And he said, it went. <laughs> it was like it said, uh-oh, time's up. No point in hanging around. I'm going. I'm going to find my next victim. <laughs> and the guy's life changed. So what I'm saying is this, I want to empower you to be able to process these things in your own life. You may need some help. You may be able to just deal with it right there in your own time. Or you might need a bit of help in a journey with somebody. But when you're helping people, you can do this over your coffee table when you're talking to a friend at a cafe. Because I want to empower you with things that are simple and easy. Because if you're like me, uh, you like things simple and easy. <laughs> and so you can do this. You can do this to help your friends. You can do this to help yourself. Can we all stand? In this situation, because there are all sorts of things that are very varied, what we're going to do is we're going to pray generally and uh, we're going to present to the Lord the judgments we've made, and we're going to ask forgiveness. We're going to all just, if, we, if you can identify that, just break your own agreement with those judgments, and, uh, and then tell the spirits associated with that to go from your life. You think, how can we do this in a public setting? We're going to do it. And then you might decide later on, that uh, I need a bit more help with this, or that might do it right there and then. So, if that's you, just come out the front here. You, you recognize something or you recognize something. Yep, that's, that's me. I'm going to come out. I'm just going to pray. I'm going I'm I'm to walk this process and we're going to deal with something now. Then I'll send you home. You can have a rest ready for tonight. And we'll unleash Mike on you. Because every one of us, the judgments will be different. But you've recognized it. You've seen it. So we're going to deal with the initial phase of it right now. So how about you pray with me? Father, I thank you that I'm your child. I am born again. I'm filled with your spirit. I am redeemed. But Lord, you have shown me that I've carried this judgment in my heart. 
that was formed in that time of trauma. So in Jesus' name right now, I come before you. And right now, just in your heart right now, just confess that trauma. Just con- sorry, confess that judgment to the Lord right now. You don't have to say it loud because some, jud- some of these judgments, rather, you might need to say it out loud, but some of these judgments were said without words. They were said with words in the heart. So tell the Lord in your heart what the judgment was. Some of you might need to speak it out. In Jesus' name, right now, I just thank you right now for the grace for, to help everybody just speak that, judge, that judgment. What was that judgment? What was that judgment? Just, just speak. No, no I'm, going ch- I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my mind. I want you to speak it out. But speak it out quietly, okay? Just right now. Just begin to speak that judgment out, but quietly. What was the judgment? Speak it out. Just begin to speak it out now. I'm just going to pray in tongues over you all so uh, you don't feel so self-conscious. Just speak out that judgment to the Lord. Now you've spoken that judgment out, even though it was quietly. That's totally fine. Now what we're going to do is you're going to ask God to forgive you. Just pray with me. Father, forgive me for having made that judgment. And in Jesus' name, I receive your forgiveness. Right now, I nullify that judgment. I rescind that judgment. In Jesus' name, I declare it null and void. I break my agreement with it. Now, in Jesus' name. Father, right now, I command every spirit that's manipulated me through this judgment, through the doorway of this judgment, to leave my life in Jesus' name, Right now, every spirit that has tormented me or limited me, I say your time is finished. In Jesus' name, go from me now. Go from me now. Go from me now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Right. Some of you, that will have shifted something quite significant. There may be some of you say, no, I just need a bit more help on this. Well, then we're going to need to do that over, this, over a, a period of time. So um, uh, how we do this, how we do this, how we do this. I'm just trying to get the sense of the Holy Ghost on this. Right, those of you felt like there's been a shift and you felt like you've done some business and that's it, just, just you feel free to go back to your seats. Those who remain, I'm going to call the ministry team up and they'll just talk with you very briefly and then, then just break the power of those spirits off your life.